Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Febo and Joel Frucci. Well, we've had a deportation, but we've also had some absolutely phenomenal tennis. The Novak Djokovic saga was threatening to overshadow the Australian Open and what is a wonderful event. But since Sunday, since the deportation, tennis has taken centre stage and it has been nothing short of brilliant. We're here to dissect it all on Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo. Great to have everybody's company here in the or the week or the weekend, middle Saturday of the Australian Open. We are so excited to bring you well, the first week review. It's me and, of course, the one, the only, Joel Frucci. Joel, how are you, mate? Going well, Val, you busy boy. Uh, good to be on on this middle Saturday. And uh, yeah, isn't it great that we're just we're not talking about Novak anymore? We're talking about tennis. We've been enjoying the first week and rightfully so because it has been a fantastic week at the AO. I've been down to a couple of days. I was there last night on uh, Margaret Court Arena. I watched what I thought was the best women's match of the tournament so far. And then, of course, followed by, well, Apparently, the, the fourth longest four-setter in history between Carrots and uh, Adrian Manorino. That was a, an interesting slog. I didn't stay there for the whole thing because it wrapped up at 2.30 in the morning. But, yeah, it was down there for a, for a set. And it was interesting viewing and uh, just overall loving the tennis. It's been great. Yep, your mate Adrian Manorino getting through that one. It was actually <laughs> the eighth, no, seventh longest uh, four set match in the history Seven of Grand Slam tennis in the Open Era. I stand so, uh, yep. Oh, no, that was my bad because I did tell you before the show that it was. Four, <laughs> so, um, so I'll take Grumble, credit mate. for that. I'll take credit for that. Grumble. Uh, <laughs> Um, but no, it has been a fantastic week and day five, uh, yes, day five provided us with arguably the best matches of the tournament. We're going to talk about that all. And we do have Tumani Karayal from, uh, from the guardian in the UK. He's going to join us. He's over here in Melbourne as well. So he's going to hop on, uh, hop on zoom and chat to us about the first week, but Joel, without further ado, let's discuss the, uh, let's not discuss deportations because we've had enough of that mm. over the past week. Novak Djokovic is not here. Of course, we're going to discuss the women's draw because it has been, as we always suspect, um, very, very lively. We've seen a lot of seeds go down. We saw Carbinia Magarutha fall to Elisa Cornet. We saw Clara Towson defeat Annette Contivate and both of those in straight sets. And we've seen Arena Sabalenka come through some really tough matches. We've seen Naomi Osaka go out. And we've also seen Ashley Barty. She has played the three shortest matches of the Australian Open in 2022. That's how dominant Ash Barty has been. And we'll start with her. She's been mightily impressive. Yeah, she has been, and uh, yeah, you, you can't help but feel sorry for for the opponents that um, that she's run into so far. Uh, Lesia Serenko, Lucia Bronzetti, and and also Camilla Georgi. Just they have just. I feel like I feel like they were just parked cars on the train tracks, and Ash just came through and absolutely destroyed them. Um, she is just looking in some seriously ominous form, and I feel like really since since that that match in Adelaide against. Um, Coco Goff, she's sort of really found her groove and um, in the nick of time too because, you know, I think we, you know, can say we're a bit biased here, but we both wanted to win the event. Um, we're just so eager to see it. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm almost going to say that this is just about the, the best form that I have seen Ash Barty in. And that's obviously saying a lot because, you know, she's a multiple Grand Slam champion. Um, but I really, I really do believe that. She is just in fantastic form and uh yeah i i just i can't wait for her next match 
against um, Amanda Anasimova, who's obviously coming back um, into some really good form off the back of some adversity in her personal life. Um, and it was great to see her uh, knock off Naomi Osaka last night. It was a fantastic match by both women, but Amanda really came through strong there. And they have some history, of course, um, those two women. So I don't think this is going to be a walk in the park for Ash. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see what she can do. You are right. They do have history. Their one and only meeting was at the French Open in 2019 in the semifinals. Of course, of course, Ash did win the title, but Anasimova was up 7-6, 3-love and could have very well yeah. have had her own Grand Slam trophy uh, at the end of that week because that was pretty much uh, Ash's final. The way she played to, to reel off six games in a row in that second set and then win the final set 6-3 was truly inspiring tennis. But Anasimova, you said that was the best match of the women's draw uh, with uh, Anasimova and Osaka last night. I 100% agree. The ball striking between those two was magnificent. Yeah. And there was no grunting. It was just pure and utter tennis. And I absolutely loved it. It was awesome to watch Anasimova saving two match points uh, deep in the third set. Osaka looked as though she might have cracked through finally, but um, to no avail. And uh, the defending champ goes out in the fourth round. But it's funny. I saw a stat this morning that of the f- she's won four Grand Slams, Naomi Osaka. Have a guess at all the other slams that she's played in. Have a guess how many times she's been to the quarterfinals. Whoa, this is an interesting question. Twice? Zero. Zero? Mm. Yep, she's never been beyond the fourth round at a slam that she hasn't won. So <laughs> That is really interesting. <laughs> how unbelievable is that? I got what told this last night and I've been absolutely, I've been wrapping my head around it ever since. So an amazing stat there. So Amanda Anderson moves into the fourth round. And uh, the other the other two ladies that, that I've noticed throughout this event that have really, really impressed me. One is Paula Badosa. She mm. has been, and you said Barty was a steam train. Well, Badosa has been a truck and a truck going <laughs> for a cyclist. <laughs> Um, a cyclist in front of a truck and Bedosa has just absolutely poleaxed everyone in front of her. And uh, she defeated Ola Tomjanovic, 6-4, 6-love. And she defeated uh, Martina Trevisan, 6-love, uh, 6-3. So she had back-to-back 6-love sets for the first time in her career. And then the match against Marta Kostiuk, Jeez, the ball striking again was so good. And uh, Badosa coming over um, the young Ukrainian, uh, 6'2", 5'7", 6'4". But Kostyuk, so much to look forward to. She's only 19 years of age and Badosa only 24. And she's been touted as a future world number one. And when she plays like that, she won Sydney last week. It's very hard to argue against. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I, I think, yeah, like when looking back, Val, when we were sort of previewing the tournament, I think she's definitely won, at least for me, that kind of, Slipped under the radar a little bit, even though, yes, of course, she she did um, she did win Sydney, but yeah, she's really really cementing that um, I think now, and um, yeah, certainly has to be has to be up there. Um, probably, I'm going to start calling her Paola Bulldozer from now on. Um, I think that's probably <laughs> justified. Um, but yeah, look, I think when that's it comes brilliant. to women, I sort of <laughs> yeah, I was proud of that one actually. Um, but I think yeah, look, look, talking about Paola, I think certainly her. Um, Ash, obviously, we've already spoken about, but also uh, Marie Sicari, I know I was very keen on her um, before the tournament started, but also Vika. She's looking in really, really good form. Um, and it, it reminds me of, of a young Vika, like before, obviously, before she had Leo and, you know, she, she, started, she started winning quite, quite early in her career and 
what we're seeing from her at the moment, she did an absolute number on Alina's Fidelina, and that just reminded me of prime Vika. She was the second one that I wanted to bring up. We've spoken about her a lot since she made the final of the US Open in 2020. She didn't win a title last year. I'm going to throw some more stats at you because that's what I've been doing this week. I've been doing the stats producing for Channel 9 in the mornings and I've got them all in my head at the moment. So um, she (laughs) has now dealt 15 bagels at the Australian Open in her career, which is a lot because Serena has won the tournament many, many times and she's only dealt out 16. So Victoria Azarenka has got as impressive a record as Serena at Melbourne Park in terms of bagels, but she's also progressed beyond the first round at the AO for the first time since she made the quarters in 2016. She's had a lot of pro- personal and, um, and injury, uh, personal problems and injuries, um, in that time. So wasn't able to get on uh, to Melbourne in all of those years. But this is the strongest I've seen her look in in ages because, as you said, what she did to Alina Svitolina, that was that was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. The first set was was done in I think twenty five minutes, and the second set would have been done in twenty five minutes if it wasn't for a seven juice final game where Alina finally started to try and fight for the match um, when it was all over. So yeah, Vika has just been sensational. She beat Pana Uvadi 6-3-6-1, Jill T- uh, Teichman uh, 6-1-6-2, and then Alina Svitolina 6-love 6-2. So she's only dropped, what, four, seven, nine games in her first three rounds, which is absolutely sensational. So she's definitely one to watch. So the fourth round so far, Joel, He's set up absolutely beautifully. Uh, Ash Barty versus Amanda Anisimova, as we've discussed. Jessica Pagula, she's flown massively under the radar. Nice. She made the quarterfinals at the Australian Open last year. So that's one that we can't forget um, against Maria Sarkari. That's one that, that's going to be an absolutely phenomenal match tomorrow. Then Barbara Krajikova against Victoria Azarenka in the other fourth round match with Madison Keys to take on Paula Badosa. That's one that if I'm a tennis ball, during that match, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Bro, I'm not happy. Line. I'm not happy. I, I, I would if I, if I was a tennis ball and I knew I was getting that match, I would try and run away like Toy Story. All the tennis balls in if there is a <laughs> tennis ball in Toy Story. Um, but also on the other side of the women's draw, we've had Danielle Collins. Uh, she's another one that's kind of flown under the radar. She's had a really good tournament. She defeated Caroline Dolhide um, in the first round, then Anna Konyu in the second, and then today a really tough match against Clara Towson of Den. Mark. She was down a set and a break and managed to fight her way back and win at 4 6 6 4 7 yeah. 5. Um, it was looking very Mer- bad for her at one point. Well, it really was. And she, she's one that mentally can just kind of switch on and off. But when she's on, she's just so hard to defeat. And the ball striking just went up about 10 levels throughout that encounter. Um, Elise Merton's another one that's flown under the radar. She's not dropped a set throughout this entire tournament. Simona Halep also hasn't dropped a set. Elisa Cornet into the fourth round at the AO for just the second time. And can you guess when the last time was, John? Oh, 20 or 2016. No, 2009. 2009. Mm, Yep. Long time. She was a teenager back then. And we've also got so a couple of matches still to come while we're recording. Uh, Kai Kanepi, 36 years old, still in the draw, the oldest woman in the draw. And uh, she defeated the feel-good story, Madison Inglis, which I do want to talk about um, to get through to the fourth round at the AO. Um, she won 2-6-6-2-6, love, finished it off brilliantly. Before we do get to uh, Madison Inglis, now, Arena Sabalenka, Oh, the, interesting. Here we go. She Now, she only hit 10 double faults today. Only. <laughs> only. 
because that now I'll, I'll have a look and I want to ask you what you've made of her so far throughout this event because it's been concerning. She's dropped the first set in every one of her matches and been down yeah. a break in the second in two of them. It's been absolutely bizarre. Bizarre is the right word, Val. I had a first-hand look at Arena on night two when she played Storm Sanders on RLA and that was that was a... I want to say a tight escape for Arena because obviously went down in the first set, as you said, and then there was a period in that second set. She was actually down 3-1. Storm had her really on the ropes. Um, and at that point, you're thinking Storm Sanders is going to get the biggest win of her career. Um, but there was just that period where Arena came through like an absolute steam train. I think she won eight games on the trot. So that really kind of set her up. And, um, you know, at that point in the third, when you've got a player um, as good when she's on as Arena versus, you know, someone that's come in um, as a wild card uh, like Storm, then you, you sort of tend to lean towards the the world number two, as I guess anyone would. But, um, you know, the, obviously the serve is, a, is, is the problem for Arena. It's so shaky. Um, you know, I remember seeing some of, uh, you know, keeping an eye on her serves and, um, when it got to the second serve, I remember seeing one that um, was, I think, like a, an 126-kilometer second serve or 160, something like that, went halfway down the net. It was a really, really concerning uh, sign. Um, so, look, I think it's it's just I think it's just that bell because like when when the serve goes in, we see the the arena Sablanka that we want to see. She's so hard to beat when that ball is in play. Um, so look, that's, that's just the, the main concern. Once she sorts that out, um, you know, the sky's the limit for her, but it, just at the moment, it's just, I, I just, I worry about the serve and where the fix is going to come from because it's just so flaky. Well, Mark Philippus just did a little bit of work with her in Adelaide, just said, look, come on down. He liked her service action, heard him talking about it this morning, liked her service action and just wanted to see what was going on. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure what they actually worked on or they didn't really spend too long on the court. I think it was about an hour. But, yeah, it's it's bizarre. She's hit 41 double faults in three matches, Joel. That's, yeah, yeah. That's... And I think I think the reason um, the reason that she hasn't been bundled out yet, Val, I think is because um, in the matches that I've, that I've seen, at least certainly in that first round match, the main reason that she was able to stay in the match is because she was getting as many free points back off the serve as she was giving away. So that was the main reason she was staying in the match. So when you look at it through that lens, you've got to say she's been fairly fortunate so far. Yeah, 100%. And, and it was evident in Adelaide, she lost her first two matches of the season and has somehow managed to fight her way into the fourth round of the AO. So all credit to her for showing the mental fortitude yeah, for sure. to actually get this far because it's been a brilliant effort from her. And then you go to Madison English, the Australian. What a great story this has been. Her first time actually winning um, at a major in a main draw. So brilliant stuff from her. She was able to overcome U S open finalist, Layla Fernandez in, uh, in the first round. Then she overcame uh, Haley Baptiste, seven, six, two, six, six, two. And then unfortunately, as I said before, started so well against Kai Kanepi and then fell uh, two, six, six, two, six love, but the sky's the limit for Madison English. She'll rise from 133 to 115 in the world, uh, in the live rankings. And I'm really impressed with her. Hopefully she can continue that trend and, uh, and, that upward trajectory will just get her to ever closer to that top, uh, the elusive place in that top hundred. Yeah, exactly, Val. And as we've seen in the past in a lot of the examples previously, it only it can sometimes only take one event for for players to find that breakthrough and and really put those building blocks in place from there. So hopefully, this is 
one of those for, for Maddie. Obviously, she's still got a, a lot of work to do after this, still got to break into the top 100. Um, but look, hopefully to start, a more better place to do it than than your home grand slam. And um, you know, to, to beat Layla Fernandez in that first round, that was mightily impressive. I was, uh, and it still might happen, granted, but you know, just uh, the momentum that Layla had coming into this year from the year that she had in 2021, that was, I think, the biggest upset of, of the tournament so far, at least in the, in the women's. I think um, on the on the men's side, we, we will get to that, but I, I think that was also by that was also uh, dished out by an Aussie as well. So, look, you got to hand it to Maddie, um, good stuff. And I was um, uh, I watched her interview as well on uh, on Channel Nine, and uh, just seems like a, a really sort of bright character as well. So you can only really wish the best for her. See the interview when she realised how much money she'd be winning. <laughs> yeah, it was, was great. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. It's a, it was a great, great, great watch. So if you haven't listened or mm. haven't watched that, would highly recommend. Just a couple more before we do move to the men's show. Iga Sviontek has moved through to the fourth round tonight. She's beaten uh, Dara Kasakina, which is a, a, a brilliant win, win from her. 6-2, 6-3. Another one that has flown completely under the radar. Defeated Harriet Dart, 6-3, 6 love, And uh, Rebecca Peterson, 6-2, 6-2. And before we do move on, I do want to touch on this because it would be rude not to. Samantha Stoza ended her singles career with a second round performance, defeated Robin Anderson uh, in three sets. And it was just so, so good to see Sam Stoza get one final win at the AO in singles because we know it hasn't been her most successful Grand Slam um, like Wimbledon. That she's had a, She's had her struggles here and there, but... She's been a pioneer for Australian tennis for such a long time. Before Barty came around, it was Samantha Stoza. And for a time, Casey Delacqua as well um, in, in singles. But Sam Stoza was always the one, always that hometown favorite. Everyone wanted to go watch Sam Stoza play. And the send-off, I think, was really fitting. She managed to win a round and get through to the second. Unfortunately, 6-2, 6-2 lost to 10th seed Anastasia Pavlachenkova. But... An amazing career in singles. She'll continue it in doubles. Unfortunately, she's out of the women's doubles with Zhang Shui. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm just so proud of what Stoza has been able to achieve in her career. Grand Slam champion, former world number four, uh, nine career titles, including that 2011 US Open where she absolutely dispatched Serena Williams on her home court uh, at Flushing Meadows. So amazing, yeah. uh, amazing career for Sam Stoza. And um, yeah, kudos to her because uh, yeah, she's she's been brilliant in, in what was a pretty trying time in uh, in Australian women's tennis. Yep. Well said, Matt. And uh, I just hope that you know, she's remembered as as a Grand Slam champion and as a pioneer for, for women's sport because I think, um, you know, and, and I certainly have it at points as well. You know, I think a lot of people joke about, as, as we've touched on, she just hasn't quite in singles been able to get it done at the Australian Open. I really hope she's not remembered for that because that US Open title that, that she won, um, wow, what a what a Herculean effort it was um, to get over Serena in New York. Amazing, and then um, you know, I think I think this we're seeing a wave now of 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 big name women, uh, female athletes in in Australia coming through that are arguably the the biggest names in sport in in the country at the moment. Um, not only here, but also globally as well. I mean, obviously we we speak about Ash all the time, but you look at someone like Sam Kerr as well. Um, you can you can put Sam, um, Sam Stoza in that, in that um, I guess, bracket of women um, sort of uh, in the late noughties and, and early 2010s that I, I think really sort of inspired that. So, yeah, uh, and it was, a, it was a fitting send-off as well. 
Yep, agree. And Sam's performance has really brought forth, I think, the the confidence in Casey Delacqua to have the career that she had. You know, she was already there, um, but had had a really successful career herself. And then there was Yamila uh, Gaidasova, or Wolf, uh, as she's known now. Um, and then Daria Gavrilova, now Saville, comes yeah. through. And, of course, Ashley Barty. So amazing, amazing career for Sam Stoja. She's been an inspiration for a lot of Australian uh, women, men as well, who have gotten into the sport because they've just loved watching Sam Stoza play. So amazing uh, for Sam. But the women's draw, not over yet. We've got plenty to talk about there for the rest of the Australian Open. But it's time to move on to the men's draw. And the top half now, well, with the lucky loser, and there was a brief time where Salvatore Caruso was the number one seed, Joel, um, yeah. because they hadn't edited it out yet to say LL for lucky loser at the top of the draw. But um, Miami Kecmanovic, the Serbian uh, youngster, well, he's not the Serbian that Gal Monfils would have uh, thought he'd be facing in uh, in round <laughs> four, was he? No, definitely not. And um, I, I just wonder how um, how he would be feeling at the moment because there's no doubt that um, you know, as a young Serbian athlete, let alone a tennis player, he would really look up to a guy like like Novak when you've got one of the one of the greatest players of all time um, as one of your countrymen. Um, but then to see him, obviously, uh, well, let's let's face it. Um, well, should I use the word deported from? Well, <laughs> from he Australia. was deported and rightfully so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, rightfully so. And then obviously he was slotted in to, to play him in what I think um, certainly for that country would have been a really special occasion. Um, you've got this this rising athlete against the established uh, the established order. But I think, I mean, let's be real, he, he most certainly, I think, almost certainly would have lost that match. So, um, yeah, I'm just curious as to, as to how he would be feeling because he has looked really good in the opening uh, in the opening few rounds, and now he's um, he's in the fourth round and got a got a huge test against uh, Gail, who's in uh, some really really good form. And mm. I think the, the kind of form that we like seeing from Gail, he looks like he's having fun. Um, he's he's dishing out the all the little tricks that he that, that he does, all the athleticism, and it is beautiful. It is. It is beautiful. And Kecmanovic has actually said that he feels like he's playing with a second chance because he said, I almost 100% would have lost to Novak. He's he's so good. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm in the fourth round. He's dedicated all of his match wins to Novak. Hasn't contacted him yet just to give him some space. But he finds himself in the fourth round with the loss of just one set to Lorenzo Sonigo in round three. But then Gal Monfils, my God, Joel, is he playing some in, some. <laughs> erotic erotic tennis that that's all i'm gonna call it because it, it is he's hitting tweeners left right and center the winners are coming from everywhere he's not dropped a set yet he's dismantled federico coria he's destroyed alexander bublik and then christian garen had absolutely no answer although garen had played uh, some of the longest matches of the tournament uh two five set matches in round one rounds one and two for him but monfis you can only beat who's in front of you and he's zero and 17 against novak and one and zero against mirmir kechmanovic so He'd be a lot happier with uh, with that outcome if he can uh, if he could have mm. predicted it towards the or at the beginning of the tournament. So Monfils, look, my prediction again that he does get through to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open again. Um, a quick question before we do move on: like, uh, what do you see? What, what what do you think Gail Monfils can actually do here, Joel? Because <laughs> he's been he's been Good around question. for a very long time. He he was around when the courts were rebound ace, this is his one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 10, 11, 
12, 13, 14, 15, 16. This is his 17th Australian Open, and he's only ever made the quarterfinals on one occasion. So if he can do it again, the draw is open enough for him to at least get through to a semi. Yeah, for sure. And I guess the thing with that question, Val, is he's one of those players that can just do anything. Um, you know, with, I think the other the other guy that's in that sort of category is probably Nick Kyrgios, right? But, um, you know, I, I think... Certainly, Gale is probably a better version of Nick than Nick is. Um, but, I mean, on his day, he could beat anyone, really, because he's so expendable, so unpredictable, so elastic. And I think just the way that he plays as well, he he has he has that knack of being able to get the crowd on on his side. So I think, you know, if that's so important here as well in Australia, as, as a lot of international viewers would have seen, certainly in that uh, Nick Kyrgios-Daniel Medvedev match, um, just how... Um, <laughs> rambunctious the crowd can be. If you're able to get them behind you, then that can sort of really give you an extra few gears. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's any limits to what Gale can do. And so, sort of speaking from the heart as well, I really hope that he actually can put a bit of a run together because obviously he's not getting any younger. Um, mm. And he has had a history of injuries. He's looking fit, healthy, confident, um, and looks as though he's having fun at the moment. But, you know, you just sort of wonder um, you know, how long he does have, have left. But he is an entertainer. He's, he's a hard player not to like. So, look, I just hope that he can put something together and, uh, and really push for the pointy end. I would love to say that. Well, at 35 years old, Gal Monfils, as he said, he isn't getting any younger. He's been around. Uh, he's play, his first Australian Open was in 2005. I do want to get to the crowd and the antics with the Nick Kyrgios and uh, Daniel Medvedev match and the first match between Nick Kyrgios and Liam Brody and Kyrgios's antics. But um, the, the draw does has opened for Gal Monfils. We have Pablo Carreño Busta, who's into the fourth round. He'll take on a pretty cooked Matteo Berrettini, the, the Italian stallion. Um he had a really tough match in the in the first round against Brandon Nakashima. Uh, he won that in four sets. And then uh, on the camera, I don't know if you saw this job, Berrettini wrote Imodium. Yeah, <laughs> very, and, very interesting to write. Yeah, a bit too much information. But TMI, uh, yeah. one, can, uh, one can dissect that he did have diarrhea and, uh, and, and the Imodium gave him that diarrhea relief. So very nicely done to uh, to that company for, for helping him out there. And then <laughs> Stefan Kozlov in the second round beats him in four. And then, my God, was this the match of the tournament or what? Carlos Alcaraz. Oh. What an How are the absolute... pipes on Carlos, by the way? His, his arms are the envy of many, many, many bodybuilders because he's 18 years old and he's really ripping them, going with the sleeveless baby Rafa. Jeez, he plays a hard ball, doesn't he? He hits harder as the match goes on, and that was evident against Matteo Berrettini. Berrettini led a set in a break, um, won the first 6-2, and then Alcaraz managed to force a tiebreaker in the second, lost it. Berrettini played a great breaker, and then all of a sudden we thought, oh, no, it's probably over. Alcaraz hits back. We get to a fifth-set breaker, and Matteo Berrettini does the rest, manages to finish it off. But what did you make of that match, and what do you make of uh, Alcaraz's future? And then going back to Matteo Berrettini, has it all been too taxing for him? Well, brilliant, brilliant match for, for starters. Um, yeah, with Mateo, it's interesting because, yeah, he obviously has played a lot of tennis in the, in the tournament so far, a couple of scares, and obviously had that, um, had that little ankle roll as well. It looks to sort of have resolved itself. But, um, you know, I guess you, you, you just wonder in the back of your mind if it has any kind of effect on him. Um, and then... Talking of Carlos, um, well, I mean, really, he's only going to get better from here. I think um, 
you know, you can only and he, it's it's easy to forget that a guy like that is is just eighteen. He's already in the he's already picked up a you know thirty first seed for himself. At, you know, at the AO, he's 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 looking good. Um, it, it was obviously disappointing to see how that match ended uh, right at the end, but you know, I think you, you, that's that's one of those things where you look at it and and just think, you know, with a bit of experience, he's those kind of things are going to going to go out of his game. Um, you know, learn, probably learn to to handle some of the some of the pressure moments more. But from his point of view, really impressive though, just to get himself back in the match because a lot of eighteen year olds, I think, at that point, you know, mentally can can throw in the towel, but he did the opposite. So all round, brilliant spectacle and. Um, yeah, Mateo's another one, really. Like, I'm looking forward to see what he can do because, um, you know, we've seen him for a couple of years now, a few years, building up, um, made, a, made a, a final or two and um, hasn't quite been able to do it yet. But obviously with, uh, with no Novak, who knows? He's probably, he wouldn't be my pick, but nevertheless, I'm keen to see what he can do. So am I, Joel. Uh, it's, he's... He's been kind of the enigma, and, and you're right, without Novak there. Novak beat him in the quarters of the French, final of Wimbledon, quarters of the US. So the draw opened up for him massively, but I think he might have expended too much energy here. I have a feeling that, used a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that PCB might actually get him and move through to the quarters. That That's my gut feeling. And then that, that and he's a taxing the, player to play against as well. Exactly. If if he can get a set or one of the opening two sets, Carreño Busta, I think that's going to pave the way for him to continue pushing Ber- Berrettini and at least make it go the distance and then possibly screw him over for playing Gael Monfils in, in the quarters. So, and, and I feel as though Monfils should get past Kecmanovic. But moving on to Alexander Zverev, Denis Shapovalov, they're both through Shapovalov a four-setter, a five-setter, and then another four-setter. Zverev has breezed through very, very, very comfortably. He's looked really good. Daniel Altmaier pushed him to two breakers, but then he was so good against John Millman. Uh, when it worked on his surf for 45 minutes after um, after he beat mm. Millman, wasn't completely happy with the 6-4, 6-4, 6-love win, um, which I would take over Johnny Millman, who's a massive <laughs> fighter, and then a big straight sets win, 3-4-4 four, and four against Radu, or Albot Radu of, uh, of Moldova. Uh, I, I have a feeling that Alexander Zverev, he means business, still hasn't beaten a top 10 player at a slam yet, won't get to do so until the quarters or get to try and do so until the quarters where he should probably face Rafa. But whew, what have you made of those two so far and who do you think comes out on top? Look, I think it's got to be Zverev because mm. just having watched him, Val, he looks so sharp. The, the serve... Okay, maybe he can still iron that out a little bit, but just generally speaking, he really looks on his game. That match against John Millman, I don't think Johnny even played that poorly. Alex was no. just on fire. He really was. Um, and then, uh, you know, just from an interest point of view, just to see him put put John away six love in that third set was, um, yeah, that that really sort of um, that really sort of piqued my interest, I guess. And. Um, obviously, Denis Shapovalov as well. He's he's had some tough matches against uh, guys like Quan and and also Riley Apelka as well. So, um, especially that Quan match, that was a long match. So I just wonder, you know, the amount of energy that he's had to expend getting to this this point of uh, of of the tournament. It's been quite a quite a bit. Looking solid on serve, um, Dennis is as you'd hope. But look, I, I think when you when you line the two up, I think you you've just got to go with uh, with Sasha here. 
I think you do. And then you've also got uh, Rafael Nadal as well. He'll take on your mate, Adrian Manorino, your favourite player, is he, John? <laughs> um, you've been going on about him for years, how you're not a fan of his game style, but he's into the fourth round. He's knocked out Hubert Herkash and Aslan Karatsev, um, both Grand Slam semifinalists in 2021. Rafael Nadal as well, looking really, really solid against Marcos Giron and Yannick Kampfman. Bit rusty still, but still solid. Bit of both. Um, and then the win against Karen Kashinov, the Russian Hemsworth, last night. I thought he was okay. – um, I, I thought Rafa was pretty solid those first two sets. Third set, Kashinov played a really good brand of tennis, but then the fourth, 6-1. What have you made of Rafa so far and his chances? What do you think? Is 21 a shot or are, are people getting too ahead of themselves? I, I'm, I'm more in the latter. I think people are getting a bit too ahead of themselves. I think we need to see how he's going to go against Zverev if he gets there. Yeah. And then we'll find out. Yeah. I think he's a chance, but what I've made of Rafa so far this summer is he's kind of just been, I think, Val, building back up again. And there's no doubt that that match against Karen Kashinov, that was the best he's looked all summer by far. But having said that, prior to that, I just I, I just kind of wonder kind of what the lingering effects of that COVID infection have been on Rafa and, and the and the foot injury as well. Um, he just doesn't quite look like prime Rafa. But I mean, that said, he's still playing bloody well, um, and you wouldn't want to bump into him because obviously we we know that he can he can do anything. He can beat anyone. Um, Certainly, if he plays like he did against uh, against um, Karen, he, could, he can win the tournament, I think. I, I, he should beat Manorino in the next round. Um, but <laughs> you're laughing. I love that. Um, I but, yeah, look, I, I, there's, there's, there's guys that I would be going for to, to win the men's side of the event before Rafa, um, notably Daniel and also Sasha. Daniel has to be the favorite and we're going to get to him. I promise we are going to talk about Daniel Medvedev. He's the big talking point. We do love this man. He's great. The big octopus. Um, But uh, Alex Demonor, he's playing as we currently record against Pablo Andujar. He's up two sets to love. Yannick Sinner is through to the fourth round for the first time at the Australian Open. Uh, Taylor Fritz gets through as well. He defeated Roberto Bautista a good in five sets. Um, Looked really good. Uh, Came from two sets to love, of course, against down against Novak Djokovic last year. Couldn't win it in the third round so he's gone one better in 2022 Benoit Joel Benoit got through to the <laughs> third round he did it he Benoit. did it equals uh equals his best and guess who got a photo with him this week wasn't it you though yeah it was he stopped <laughs> right out I went I went out so I was with um Jordan Kunellis who has co-hosted this before when uh, when you're unavailable Joel uh, I was with him and he just beaten Grigor Dimitrov and I thought you know what I'm gonna go stand outside the entrance for or the exit for court three, where they'll come out and I'll see if I can try and just snap one with him. <laughs> and he'd come out of the crowd. Jordan and I saw him and I, I just looked up. There was a swarm of people around him. I just looked, I was like, Benoit, Benoit held up the phone and he smiled, put his thumbs up. And Oh, that was a career highlight for me. I had an absolute fanboy moment all for podcast purposes because of the <laughs> Benoit of the week, which we will award later. Um, very, very excited. He unfortunately went down to Stefano City pass in four sets today. Uh, Marin Cilic and Andre Rublev still have to play while we record. Dan Evans, unfortunately couldn't get over the top of Felix Auger. Aliasim. He had a great tournament again, third round. FAA kind of flown under the radar, but he's had a five-setter, a four-setter, and a three-setter. He's gotten better as the event's gone on. Chris O'Connell, what an event for him. First time into a major third round. We've had him on the show twice, 
And it was so good to see a massive win against Diego Schwartzman. Joel, I was so, so, so thrilled for Chris O'Connell. Went and watched him against Maxime Cressy. Unfortunately, couldn't get the job done, but he fought so hard in that one. Lost in four. And yeah, just a scintillating performance from him this week. Yeah, it was. And uh, we alluded to it earlier, but his win over Diego, I think, was the the upset of the men's draw. Um, Not only because he actually beat Diego, but because he got him in straight sets. I thought that was... Um, I thought that was an incredible effort from Chris. And that, that was a slog, that match. I remember watching it. And that first set, man, you would just you didn't want to be on the losing end of that one because that would have been a heartbreaker to lose that set. But, yeah, look, terrific effort from Chris. And, uh, you know, we know his story. He's had some adversity. He did have a bit of it, a bit more of it last year, unfortunately, which is a, which is a real shame. Had some injuries. Had, had COVID, I think, as well, which obviously, you know, hasn't helped any tennis player. Um, and then his ranking suffered as a as a result. But it was good to see him get a wild card and really made a a good fist of uh, of that wild card. And um, unfortunately, just just ran into Maxime Cressy, who is doing really really well. Got to, got to say, he's doing he's been doing great things this Australian summer. And you know this this could be one of those ones where it kind of makes a player. He he himself has you know still got a bit more building to do, but. He's come on very, very slowly but surely since the 2020 US Open. And I feel like he was one of the real winners out of the whole, uh, I guess, COVID protocol around around the tour because he did get that automatic entry into the US Open, I'm pretty sure, that year. And then since then, he's kind of become more of a household name and he's gradually started to build up. And he does have some weapons to actually do some damage. And we saw that he beat John Isner and obviously he's into the fourth round. So that speaks for itself. Exactly right. Beat Isner in five in the first round that he knocked off Thomas Machac. Uh, I think Machac, uh, actually, that's the one name I haven't looked at <laughs> yeah. pronounced, but I'm going to go with Machac. Uh, Him and Kendall Machac. Well, no, it's actually Machac. So that's that's Machac. easy. That's fine. I've actually got ah. that down. Pat, I've said it enough this week. and um, But yeah, then to beat Chris O'Connell in four as well, an amazing tournament. Prediction. Maxime Cressy will make the Wimbledon quarterfinals in 2021. He's got the game to do a big serve. Mm, He's a like serve it. volleyer, which is old school. I reckon he's going to do it. He'll take on Daniel Medvedev in round four. Now, Medvedev has had a great tournament over Henri Larksonen of, uh, of Switzerland, defeated him in straight sets, then the match against Kyrgios, and then beat uh, Botik van der Zanschrup in, uh, in straight sets today. The best name in tennis. It's up there. But the Nick Kyrgios match now, this one was was bizarre. It had absolutely everything. Medvedev comes out of it in four, which is which was probably the probable scoreline. Yeah, Paul Kyrgios might get a set, and he did. But the mental fortitude of Daniel Medvedev to overcome overcome what was well essentially a zoo of people. And yeah, it was a bit, gonna, wasn't. Australian crowds are embarrassing, Joel. They are so embarrassing. Like the the Ronaldo. Why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. I'm not a fan where of did, it. Where did that even come from? Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, look, I'm not. A, I'm not a fan of the the Sioux thing. I think it's a bit lame. Um, look, I'm all for. I'm all for parochialism at the tennis. I don't mind. I love it. it. And, love yeah, it. and I like. I I love the energy that that Nick Kyrgios brings to the court. Um, it, it, it look. I think it definitely was a little bit over the top in that match against Daniel. And I I, I there is in tennis there is nothing more that I hate than when the crowd um, is boisterous when a player is serving, either during the motion or between serves, because that can actually have 
quite a fundamental, you know, a negative effect on the on the serve. I'm, I'm surprised. Obviously, they're professionals, so you know, they they practice these things all the time. But um, you know, lower down the rankings, it wouldn't be surprising to see more double faults come as a result of that. Um, look, it's it's not good. Um, hate to sound like the fun police, but yeah, it it just was just lame, really. 100%. And, you know, I love when Daniel said, show some respect and said that the, the crowd, <laughs> some of them have a low IQ. He is the king of trolls and he can just do He's whatever a he likes. He, he is. He is. And um, he, honestly, he can do whatever the hell he likes. I love Daniel Medvedev and I love what he brings to tennis. He's really good for tennis. He's great. He's a character, mm. which is what we need. And he's so animated on court. Um, and he's he actually good at it as well, which and is he's important. he's so good. He's so good. He knows how to dish it out. He knows how to take it. He knows when to switch on and off. He's absolutely brilliant. And he's exactly what this sport needs. So Daniel Medvedev, he's through to round four to take on Maxime Cressy. Joel, we've covered a lot. And we've got still a lot we more have. to cover because we're going to talk to Tumani Carroll uh, Karayal next uh, from The Guardian in the UK. He's over here in Melbourne. So really excited to talk to him. That's still to come. Plus Benoit of the Week and myself and Joel's predictions all on Breakpoint Podcast. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. This is Breakpoint Podcast, Val Ferbo and Joel Frucci taking you through the world of tennis. It's Oz Open time and, well, we've complete, almost completed day six, still a couple of matches going as we're recording. Alex Dimonor is through for all the Aussie fans out there. He's defeated Pablo Andujar 6-4, 6-4, 6-2 in a brilliant display of tennis. He moves through to the fourth round of the Australian Open for the first time. But Joel, our very special guest, we had him on, uh, I think it was last year or the year before. It was recently. It was during one of the French Opens, but uh, he's a very good friend of the show. His name is Tamani Karayel. He's from the Guardian in the UK and he's in Melbourne. Tamani, thank you very much for joining us. You're at Melbourne Park at the moment. I've made my way home, but you're still there. Uh, you've had a very long day, so I appreciate you joining us. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Like, I remember when I did speak to you, Melbourne was in lockdown, right? So it's yeah. good to actually be here and well, talk to you from Melbourne. When hasn't Melbourne been in lockdown the last two years? It's been, uh, <laughs> there's, there's been, we've lost count, but I think there's been six. Um, but yeah, so very glad that we're not in lockdown at the moment. We do have to wear masks around Melbourne Park, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's just great to have the Australian Open back in us. Uh, medium swing, not quite full swing, but next year I think will be a little bit better. But Tamani, uh, look, we, you are from the UK and you've been here for, um, for a few weeks and, I do want to ask you, we, we haven't really touched on it too much throughout the show so far. We've mentioned it briefly, but we thought we'd ask you and talk about it a little bit more when you came on. The Novak Djokovic deportation saga, it, it overshadowed the first couple of weeks of January and um, we didn't really know what to expect. You know, he was his visa was cancelled, then that got overturned and then the, the Minister for Immigration, Alex Hawke, cancelled it again and then there was another trial and then it got upheld. So... He was deported in the end, but it took a long time. So what did you make of the entire saga? And, and from, from an international standpoint, what's, um, what was so transfixing about it? Yeah, uh, um, yeah. The, the whole saga was crazy, to be honest. Um, I arrived like from the day that he, he made the Instagram post, which kind of obviously set a lot of things into motion. So just seeing like how that unfolded, was crazy and you know the I mean the predictable outrage 
like it created initially. Like initially, I thought that you know when he was flying into the to Australia, I thought you know there might be some issues, but eventually he'd get through and he'd play and he'd win, you know, as normally happens all the time. So like you know to to see how it unfolded. First of all, in the airport was a shock, and just like I mean, my, my thoughts on the whole situation is just that pretty much everyone in, involved came across badly. You know, um, Djokovic himself, given how, you know, it, he obviously, I mean, obviously he, it, well, I mean, can't say, he didn't appear to have any, like, he did not want to be get vaccinated and he had no intention to do so. Um, this, and yet he managed to kind of find a loophole to, to what he thought was, to get what he thought was a, a medical exemption and you know all of the, the things that kind of unfolded you know in terms of finding out which is still shocking to me that you know he was positive with covid and he gave an interview with a lekip journalist and, and then tried to say you know i you know that was just a kind of a mis a mistake it's just that that just that blows my mind so so that he came across badly then you have i think tennis australia and the way they you know this isn't amazing Grand Slam tournament and I think Grand Slam tournaments should be bigger than any stars and you know I mean I'd love to get your, your thoughts on this but like the way kind of Tennis Australia Craig Kiley often like kind of frame Australian Open as always being at risk that you know that it's if if, if the stars don't come it's going to leave Australia and go to China or something that just is nonsense to me and so I think they should have just made the rules clear and if if Djokovic didn't want to you know follow them then he wouldn't be there and I mean that would have saved him a lot of, of trouble as well you know um I... if, you know missing one instead instead of potentially missing three sorry and then I guess like the other thing is just the politicians who also just came across badly and obviously kind of seeing the public reaction and you know seeing I don't know how maybe some people as I experienced when I came here, some people couldn't get, can't get, you know, uh, tests or things like that, that they kind of used it to their advantage and and also didn't, you know, just, just things like that, just, you know, there was obviously a lot of politics involved as well. So the whole thing was just kind of terrible from all, all ends, in my opinion. Well, you're 100% right. It did look bad on everyone. Novak especially, I think, because of what you said. And the, the fact that he said that he didn't want to cancel on the journalist. When has a sportsman ever, ever worried about cancelling on a journalist <laughs> and, and worrying about what the journalist wants? I'm sorry. Error in judgment? That was a massive error in judgment. It was ridiculous. Um, but also, uh, I, I agree. Tennis Australia, I think the fact that they they worked so hard, even though the documents had been leaked from from Greg Hunt saying that they wouldn't be able to get in um, if if they had COVID. That wasn't uh, that wasn't a valid medical exemption for for an international traveller. Um, and then the federal government taking so long, I guess, to to make the decision and not really having the evidence firsthand in the first case. And then for what the Australian Border Force did, not giving him enough time to chat to his people. And then also yeah. the Victorian government for not checking with the federal government. So you're right. Everyone did look bad in this situation. Yeah. It, it was just a lose-lose yeah. situation. But I think for me, the big one was um, Tennis Australia. I think for, for, from your point of view, do they probably look the worst? Because Craig Tiley is, has certainly become 
a much maligned figure over the past week. And we saw when he made the presentation to Sam Stoza, he was actually booed um, when he walked onto court. So, and we haven't heard from it. He, he spoke to Channel 9 um, earlier this week. And um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I think it, it's very hard because we don't know all the details yet. We feel as though we're getting to that stage and I think that they will release it. But from your point of view, who are Tennis Australia the ones that probably come off worse off here? Uh, I mean, I think like in terms of consequences, like, yeah, yeah, but because it just this all seems so unnecessary if, if they yeah. just kind of enforce like uniform, you know, clear rules and just let any people follow, you know, people make their decisions like that, you know, and the obvious kind of thing you think back to is last year when um, obviously when all the players came in for quarantine and you had like, the, the rank and file players and most people here in Melbourne, like in quarantine hotels. And then you had the top players in Adelaide and, you know, Craig Diley was quite kind of, you know, he, he didn't mince his words in saying that like the, the top players get benefits and that's how it is. And you think back to then and you see how it's played out now and it just does look really bad for them. I'd also, one, one thing I'd also say as well, in regards to how Novak was like ultimately deported, I, I think, that was very like left a bad taste as well. Like I, he, I don't like. In my opinion, I think he shouldn't have. It should, the rules should have been clear, and he shouldn't have even been able to fly to yeah. Australia. But you know, the the um the reasoning, and you know, and that's why he shouldn't have gotten a visa. But then, obviously, when they were trying to deport him, they, I mean, the the re- the grounds that they deported him on and was quite, I don't know, it's quite uncomfortable for me at least. Just, it didn't, you know, that that yeah. as well just looked, you know, the, it reflected badly on the federal government and the amount of powers that they have, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it's a complete mess, basically. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I reckon let's talk some, let's talk some tennis, gents, because it actually has been a great first week. <laughs> At the AO, and no doubt you've been keeping a close eye on uh, on the Brits, Tom. And I uh, was really interested, obviously, in um, in Emma Raducanu more than um, more than most. Obviously, look at guys like Andy Murray and Dan Evans as well. But Emma riding the the wave of momentum from the US Open, um, lost against Danka Kovinic. What did you make of of her AO? And I guess what's kind of next for her, given that she did um, did lose out in that in that second round? Yeah. I mean, so so her loss was. I mean, it was it was a weird tournament for her. She had mm. played well against Sloane Stevens and won that. Although you know a lot, you know Sloane was just coming back from getting married, and you know she Sloane is up and down, an up and down player in the best of days. And then in in the match against Kovinic, she she had blisters and she couldn't really grip her racket or hit proper forehand. So you, <laughs> it was just bizarre to see her just kind of you know resorting to just hitting forehand slices basically like. Monica Nicolescu pretty much and but she did you know she like showed her fight and she did really well she won a set so I think like in the end although she lost in the second round it's quite you know it's fine and she'll learn from it and it's just going to be a really it's such a weird situation you know that she won she won a Grand Slam tournament in her second ever major like everything's backwards you know there's so much that she <laughs> hasn't experienced you know like she again like she won a slam before she won a WTA match which is the doesn't make any sense. So I think this year is going to have, you know, there's going to be a lot of adjustment. She's going to lose a lot, I, I think, and learn from it. And, you know, the hope is that eventually she'll get to the, a place where 
you know, she has the experience and the tools and, you know, she's played against top players, the best players enough time to, you know, know what is required on a day-to-day basis, which there's no reason why she would know now because she just hasn't played against many, even like top 100 players. So, yeah, so so I think, you know, she, she left it, I'm sure, disappointed, but it's another, like, week of experience in the bank for her and then we'll see, like, how she deals with the challenges coming up. I think you make a great point, and and that's what the the new Nike ad that she's she's come out and uh, she obviously sponsored by Nike, but they they've really gone and invested into into spreading that message that she's just playing on court, she's blocking out the outside noise because there is a lot of expectation on her now, whether she likes it or not. She did win a U.S. Open at eighteen. She'd won double figures in Grand Slam matches, as you said before. She'd even won a WTA match, and it is so backwards, but she's going to have to learn from all of these things and all of these experiences. And um, yeah, I, I think she's done a wonderful job and these losses are going to come. She's only 19 years old, plenty of learning to do. So an amazing career so far for Emma Raducanu. But yeah. um, before we do, um, before we go into the tournament as a whole, Andy Murray has had a pretty successful Australian summer. I know he lost in the first round of the uh, the Melbourne uh, Somerset to Facundo Bagnis, um, but then the final in Sydney, an amazing result there to uh, unfortunately going down to Aslan Karatsev and then beating Nikolas Basilashvili in the first round in another epic encounter between those two before going down to Tara Daniel. How would you rate Andy Murray's uh, Australian summer as a whole? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough really, because, you know, as you said, the, the run to the final was, you know, really good and kind of a continu- continuation of, of last season when he kind of, you know, he beat a couple of top 10 players, he played a couple of good matches, but he couldn't, he struggled to, like, string matches together. Like, he was really inefficient and, like, got dragged into long three setters. So, like, it was really good that he started the year with um, the final. But, I mean, you know, and, and again, also beating Basilashvili was a great result. But of course, like it wasn't just that he lost to. Well, it was also that he lost to Tara Daniel, who played very well. But also, you know, it was six four, six four, six four. You know, um, though you can't really mince. You know, particularly given how ambitious Murray still is and how much he wants to. You know, he isn't just here to compete and and have everyone. You know, praise him for being a participant. You know, he doesn't want the participation trophy. So, yeah, I think it it started it was great until it wasn't. That's that's how it, that's my assessment of his um uh Australian summer and you know I think he just he really needs to just the good thing is that he's like, you know, the things that we thought would be an issue, like his movement, he, he's moving incredibly well. But he has to figure out how to play like a sustainable and high high level that is, you know, far more efficient than currently how he's playing now. And you know, what, what this year, like, as he said, this year is going to be really important for him because if he's still, like, if he, you know, if he plays a regular calendar but is continually losing in first and second rounds, it's hard to see, like, him continue, you know, just being satisfied with that and going on with that. But if there's clear progress and which is more than capable of doing, and then, you know, that that would be you know, really encouraging. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see kind of how it plays out. And it's, it's, it's hard to, like, have any predictions because obviously it's a completely just new situation with the mental hip and no one you know, no one's ever been in this position. So we'll just wait and see, really. 
Yeah. When you look at the men's draw, I guess, more broadly, um, Tamani, so how do you see it playing out now? Because I think it's probably the most open men's AO draw that we've seen for quite a while, obviously without, without Novak. But I, clearly I think the two that stand out are Daniel Medvedev and also Alexander Zverev. So sort of how do you, how do you kind of see it playing out from this point forward? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I agree like everything you said, that like a lot of different players could win if they, you know, play well, if they speak. It's, I mean, it's, it's a funny, like, it's the type of situation, you know, we're more used to, on, on the women's door in terms of there yeah. just being a lot of players around a yeah. sim, you know, without Djokovic around a similar level. And it, like, as you said, yeah, um, I think Medvedev is the clear favorite given what he did at the US Open. And, you know, obviously Zverev has been incredible the past kind of previous season as well. And he obviously finished it extremely well, but he still has to, it's, I mean, it's crazy. He still hasn't been a top 10 player in, in a major. So, he still has, you know, things that he needs to step, you know, accomplish for the first time. Um, but yeah, there's, and the, but the great thing is that there are just many other great players, you know, great players in the draw, you know, Berrettini, Sissipas, yeah. um, although they're, you know, obviously far l- lower down. Uh, curious, just curious to see how, how, what level Nadal can reach, you know, given after a six month layoff, if, you know, the experience and all that he's done kind of comes to four at some point or not. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And again, like Yannick Sinner, I mean, all that's, that's a cool match that's coming up. So yeah, there's, there's just kind of, yeah, it's just open and it's, it's really there for whoever really steps up and plays the best tennis, even though I'd say Medvedev is the favorite fans were as well. Yeah, I concur. I think those two are going to be so hard to beat. And Alexander Zverev um, has been so clean so far. Joel and I touched on that before. And Daniel Medvedev has shown a lot of mental fortitude, especially in his second round match against Nick Kyrgios. But if you move over to the women's draw, we've seen, yes, Ash Barty has been a massive clear standout, but there have been some brutally, brutally tough matches. And, oh, media announcement for you. Who's that? Followed by Alex Dimonor at 10.30. Oh, Dimonor. Alex Dimonor at 10.30. Let's, uh, let's head there. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Tamani, going back to the question, I think um, she, she was very rude. I think she should have known that Breakpoint was recording. Um, but, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think, um, yeah, it's there's, there's been some brutally tough matches in the women's side. And if – if you had to choose a couple of standout plays, and uh, look, all all sixteen of them really in the fourth round have, have had something unbelievable happen to them in this event. So, um, who who have the standouts been for you? Um, I mean, I, I think that Barty um, Barty clearly, and also the Anisimova match. I'm I'm really really interested to see that. You know, I'll be honest. I I really like I, I'll be on, like normally I don't root for like things to happen, but I really really wanted see Barty and Osaka because you know they're the basically the best two players of the past like since you know since Serena won her last slam they're the best two players on the WTA so I wanted to see them play a, a big match you know and it would have been amazing but Anissimova played so well against yeah. Osaka and you know that was an incredible performance so the, you know seeing her like resurgence after obviously dealing with the passing of her, her father and um, you know kind of taking a, a, a year and over a year to kind of digest that and 
take a step forward in her tennis again. That that's obviously a, a big thing. I'm I'm also interested in like the like resurgence of the kind of the the older players, Azarenka, like just bulldozed her way to the fourth round, and really interesting match with Krishikova next. And I think if she wins that, then I mean she's obviously a contender. Uh, a place she's the tournament she's won twice. Then you have like Halep who had like terrible luck last year in terms of injuries and stuff, but has had quite decent luck in this tournament in terms of her draw and is taking advantage of it. Um, and kind of sim similar also Shriontek, um, she, she played really well today against Kastakina. Um So so yeah, like, I mean, similar to the men's, there's, there's some send out a couple of, I mean, I'd say fewer send out. I'd say Barty is the like overwhelming favorite, but there are just, there are kind of numerous notable players, like both challengers, but also players who have been there before and know what it takes to win a slam. So it's going to be cool to see how it kind of plays out. And, and also I'd say like the, the women's draw has generally like um, held up, you know, like in terms of yeah. there's, there are very few like, you know, and, and, and most players who are there, it's not a surprise to see them there. So yeah. 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 I think you're exactly right. And, and the Australian open for once is open on both sides of the draw, which we haven't seen in a very long time yeah. with, you know, only three men have won since Rafa Nadal. So Rafa is the most recent champion in the men's draw at 2009. Only three men have won since Rafa's triumph 13 years ago, which is a staggering statistic. Roger has won it three times. Novak, of course, another eight and Stan Wawrinka once in 2014. So amazing there uh, in that sense. And finally, we're probably going to see a new champion. We'd assume Rafa still might get there. We don't know. But uh, that leads us, to Marty to the tough questions. Your prediction for the men's and the women's title at the Australian Open before we let you go. I mean... So, so my, my boring prediction would be Medvedev for the men and I don't want to say Barty. Okay, I'll, I'll say Medvedev for the men and, and as a ranker for the women. I'll, I'll go over that. I do like that. I do I do like it. I'm, <laughs> I'm counting on Azarenka's just um, the fact that she plays her best tennis here and that, you know, she's finally back. You know, like the, I don't know, yep. she's finally back and fit here which hasn't been the case in the past. Like last year, she was, you know, she was in quarantine, hard quarantine and couldn't play. Yeah, before that, she wasn't even here with her because she had custody battles and stuff. So she's here, so I'm picking her. Absolutely love the picks. Medvedev is Medvedev. Yeah. Yep, exactly right. But that, that's all we can say. Daniel Medvedev is Daniel Medvedev. Tamani Karayal, thank you very much for joining us on Breakpoint Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. We know it's been a long day for you. So thank you very much for taking the time out to, to chat some tennis to us. And we look forward to chatting to you again very, very soon on the show. For sure. Thanks for having me as, as always, guys. And yeah, cheers. Tamani Carrile there joining us on uh, on Breakpoint Podcast. He is a wonderful, wonderful tennis journalist on The Guardian. Uh, so go and look up his work. Follow him on Twitter as well. We've got plenty more still to come on Breakpoint Podcast, including Joel and my own predictions for the Australian Open and the all-important Benoit of the week. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. You're listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Val Ferber and Joel Frucci talking all things tennis and all things Australian Open. Day six is almost 
at an end. And as we move into the pointy end of the Australian Open, the first major of 2022, it would be remiss of us not to talk about our uh, predictions for the tournament. We heard Tamani's really like the Azarenka pick, but Joel, I'm going to throw you under the bus straight away here. You are going to give the predictions mm-hmm. first and then I'm, uh, I'm going to follow suit. I might agree with you. I might not. I don't know. We don't know yet. Um, but who have you got winning the men's and women's and give me a dark horse. Okay. So, um, Women's, I'm sticking with Ash. Just looks really good. Dark Horse, I'm going to stick with Maria Sakari as well because I backed her at the start of the tournament. I'll stay with her, even though there's a few going, but I'll stay with Maria. On the men's side, my pre-tournament prediction was actually Daniel Medvedev. I'm going to change mine to Alexander Zverev because I really like what he's been doing. Um, and a Dark Horse. You can, say Medved- you can say Medvedev for your Dark Horse because you've just changed it. <laughs> They just downgraded him to a dark horse yeah. from a winner. Yeah. <laughs> um, a dark horse. I reckon this is a little bit tougher. I'm going to say Yannick Sinner. Okay. All right. I like it. I like it. Um, my women's prediction, I'm going to go, well, Ash looks head and shoulders, knees and toes above the rest, um, and then add knees and toes again um, above the rest of the field. She just looks absolutely phenomenal. The three shortest matches so far, she's prime. She played eight matches in Adelaide as well. So playing brilliant tennis, um, hasn't lost yet this season or this year. So Ash Barty for me, the women's champion. Dark horse, Paula Bedosa. I think she's uh, Paula Bulldozer, as you called her, because uh, she is bulldozing her way through the field and clubbing the ball her and Madison Keys is going to be a really really fun match to watch in the fourth round uh, on the men's side of things I've got Daniel Medvedev I think he's going to win it I, I just can't go past him at the moment the mental fortitude that he's established so far um, has been second to none especially as I said against Nick Kyrgios I've got him winning my dark horse for the event I think it'd have to be Jeez, uh, it is a really hard one Gal Monfils I think for me um, it's a real opportunity for him We've spoken about Grigor Dimitrov not cashing in on his opportunities to at least get through to a Grand Slam final. This is an opportunity for Gal Monfils. Novak Djokovic isn't in the top half of the draw. He won in the first week of Adelaide. He's playing great tennis, hasn't dropped a set yet. I think this is his time. He's 35 years old. It's probably his last opportunity to really go massively deep into a Grand Slam. So Gal Monfils, my dark horse, Joel. It is time now for Benoit of the week named after the one, the only third round <laughs> appearance at the 2022 Australian Open, Benoit Pair. And Joel, I'm going to dish it out this week. I really am. And I've been so looking forward to dishing it out because do you know who it is? Is it the man himself? It is. It's the man it himself. Be. It yeah. is the one, the only, the 2021 Benoit of the year. Benoit Pair is our Benoit of the week. And do you know why? Because he stopped and took a photo with me. <laughs> How good and, is that? And also because... Yeah, oh, it was great. It was like he wanted to smile, but he was like, eh. Um, it was just a typical Benoit. I love him. He was so emotional after beating Grigor Dimitrov, and he really seems like he's in a good place with his tennis at the moment. So yeah. it was great. In all seriousness, it was great to see him back in the third round of a Grand Slam, and he played so well. Took a set off Stefanos Tsitsipas today, um, and he's the rightful and deserving winner of our Benoit of the Week, uh, our second Benoit of the Week in 2022. But I will give an honourable mention to Chris O'Connell, to Madison English, and also yeah, sure. Marinko Matosovic. I think he deserves one as well because in the he, was box. Wearing a, 
yeah, uh, Chris O'Connell's coach, and he was wearing a towel over his head like a nun today. So I thought that was quite interesting. Um, <laughs> wasn't the sideways cap that we're so used to, but we do love Marinko on this show. So very, very, very proud of what him and Chris O'Connell have been able to achieve. But Joel, it's been such a great show chatting to you and chatting to Tamani Karail as well. Um, really happy to have him back on the show. Check out his work at The Guardian. Um, he's a wonderful, wonderful tennis scribe. So um, yeah, really grateful to have him on the show and for his time. But Joel, thank you very much for your efforts tonight it's been a pleasure as per usual i'll catch you next week yep sounds good man i'll see you during the week very very much looking forward to that one val Ferbo and joel frucci joining you on breakpoint podcast remember you can follow us on twitter search us breakpoint podcast search us on instagram as well breakpoint podcast and facebook as well we are all on all over the socials and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform apple Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from, we are there. We're going to catch you next week. Enjoy the rest of the Australian Open. We certainly have so far. Really excited to see what the next week is going to bring forth.